You are Locked On Blue Jays, your daily podcast on the Toronto Blue Jays, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Blue Jays fans, and welcome to Locked On Blue Jays, your daily dose of Toronto Blue Jays talk directly into your headspace, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, AJ Andrews, FJSternacouch.com. And what a shock, we have another episode detailing Blue Jays that could be not not actual Blue Jays, but, you know, players the Blue Jays are linked with signing. Because it seems like, as I said last week, writers are just basically assuming they can throw a dart at MLBTR's top 50 list of free agents and just assume that the Blue Jays have been in touch. And, you know, as I've said, it makes sense. The Blue Jays are one of the few teams with actual money. So if they're not calling agents, I'm pretty sure agents are going to be trying to contact Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins be like, hey, do you think the Blue Jays are interested? How about giving my client a payday? Hmm? So, I mean, like I said, I'm not surprised, but it's it's starting to get silly. And I mean, they're they're not signing everyone. Um there're four players that were mentioned they were touching base on today and one where they talked about what they offered a player. Um We'll be talking about all of that in this episode. I'm going to try and condense it as much as I can, because honestly, I'm not really feeling a lot of these. Sorry, that's my personal opinion. I mean, I assume you're listening to this podcast to hear my opinion, so might as well give it to you. Um, Let's start with a couple of quick ones I'm just gonna get out of the out of the way um Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic has tweeted that Toronto has spoken to representatives for Michael Brantley and Justin Turner okay so Justin Turner just turned 36 did about 307 last year he is a career 292 hitter. And if you take out the years he was with the Mets, he's even better. But he's 36. And defensively, he's been backsliding. So he's not a lock to be out there playing every day. He cost $20 million for the Dodgers last year. I have to imagine he's going to be seeking something comparable. Because he did bat 307 in 42 games last season. Um, he has been hurt fairly frequently. And there's the whole, yeah, I just found out I have a coded COVID test, but I don't care. And I know, I know, they said, well, the players wanted him to come back on the field. and like, no, there were five new cases that sprouted out because... Justin Turner went on the field while positive. Don't need that. Don't need that kind of leadership. He can stay in L.A. They they love him in L.A. 
So why doesn't he just stay in a lie and get his money there? And that's fine. Toronto can move on. As for Brantley, Michael Brantley, who had the misfortune of joining the Astros after their cheating scandal, um, but was still just like instantly like, hey, he's on the Astros, probably got the garbage can. Um, he made $16 per year on his two-year deal with Houston. He might be willing to take a pay cut, but what what would he do for the Blue Jays? He plays left field, which is Lourdes Gurriel Jr.'s position, and DHs, where they have Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Rowdy Telez. Now, if the Blue Jays were to trade one of those three gentlemen, then sure, signing Brantley, who has batted 300 or better each of the last three seasons with Cleveland and Houston, wouldn't be a bad fit. I mean, he's he's not a power guy, he's a contact guy. And as we said on this podcast, the Blue Jays really, really need some contact guys. Some, some guys who can get on base for the Teoscars, for the Flatties, for the Lourdes Guriels, guys who can string chains of hits. And Brantley is one of those guys who's done it, and a guy who, even in the playoffs, has performed well. Um, past two years in Houston, he's hit over 304 out of six rounds in the ALCS against the Yankees, the World Series against Washington, this year's ALDS against Oakland, he batted 368, and against Tampa Bay in seven games, he batted 346. So, you can't put the loss on Brantley. But again, what are you going to get from him defensively? He hasn't actually been playing left field regularly. And... You know, you you can't have that DH spot locked up if you're the Blue Jays and you want to be like, oh, we want to give our younger guys a break and let them DH and that way they don't burn themselves out playing the field. Brantley played 19 games competently in left field this season. He played more in 2019, but that was also not the best year for him defensively. He had a 9 82 fielding percentage in left field in 2019, which not great for an outfielder to have that kind of average. So ultimately, yeah, they could be just touching base in place. They they do trade Rowdy Telez, which I have mentioned is a strong possibility given some talks with Cleveland. But again, I'm not seeing it here. Um... I'll get to the two other players in a sec. I do want to touch base on the on the revelation that the Blue Jays were in contact with Kevin Gossman before he accepted the qualifying offer. Um, it does make sense. I didn't know how deep the talks were with Gossman, but it was noted that 
the Blue Jays had been in on him before he signed that deal with the Giants. And I would not be sniffing at a $19 million qualifying offer either if I was Kevin Gossman. Makes a lot of sense to me. Said the Blue Jays offered a three-year deal, but, you know, Gossman may be one of those guys who takes that mercenary mentality. And, you know, if you're going to get qualified at that rate and, you know, you think you can still have that three-year deal next year, why not take it? I'm I'm not surprised the Blue Jays did not want to offer Gossman the kind of money that would override how lucrative that qualifying offer was. Because I know Gossman had a 362 ERA last year, but he's just one year removed from a 572 ERA. I know his his analytic numbers are better. That 572 ERA becomes a 398 fielding independent pitching ERA. But still, you don't you don't want to make that kind of commitment at like $17 million for a guy who hasn't even sniffed a Cy Young vote. So I am perfectly fine with the Blue Jays not winning that deal. There are some deals I am more favorable towards. And one of them is from our sponsor at Built Bar. Uh, BuiltBar.com has the keys to getting you delicious protein bars that taste like candy bars because they're coated in 100% chocolate and in flavors like caramel brownie, lemon almond cheesecake, apple almond crisp, raspberry, banana bread, orange, coconut. If If you're one of those people like me who actually likes coconut, they got you covered with these soft, easy to chew bars. And if you're on a diet, They're great for that because they'll help you lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat because they're low calorie, they're low sugar, they're high in protein and fiber. If you're doing that keto thing, it's great. And right now, if you go to BuiltBar.com and use that promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get 20% off your purchase. So you get all these bars and, you know get to save money and they have a black friday sale coming up so if you want to wait till the end of the week even more deals so go to builtbar.com use that promo code locked on for 20 percent off your purchase of built bars right now you are locked on blue jays your daily toronto blue jays podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day okay so you know how I said uh, earlier this month that it's understandable the Blue Jays don't have a lot of interest in JT Real Muto? Turns out they still have interest in JT Real Muto because, again, they are the suitor for everyone. And now there are blogs that are saying that Toronto is the best suitor for him. And that may be more of an indictment of the production that the Blue Jays got out of Danny Jansen and Reese McGuire last year before Alejandro Kirk came up and rocked everyone's world, as he is wont to do. But Real Muto's a guy who turned down his qualifying offer. He made $10 million with Philly last year through arbitration. This is his first stint into the open market. So, 
JT is going to look to get paid. And doesn't make sense for the Blue Jays to dole out a long-term deal for a catcher. Which, I mean, they've done it before with Russell Martin, but then the last few years of Russell Martin were so bad that he had more value as a bullpen arm than as a catcher. More value as a backup infielder. Um, do they want to go down that route again with Rio Muto? I'm, I'm skeptical. I, I don't think they would have built all that catching depth and just thought, no, we're going to sign Rio Muto instead. It would have to be... Uh, a friendly deal to the Blue Jays, and I don't think a friendly deal is what Real Muto is looking for. I think he wants that qualifying offer money, and I think he wants it stretched out. So, like, this isn't like the um, the deal that they gave Martin. It's it's going to be something that is much longer term, and. Again, if you're a Blue Jays fan, and I know I love Russell Martin too, but near the end of that contract, that $82 million contract, it, it, was, it was not kosher to have him around. I mean, again, dude was, dude was batting sub 200. And I know Russell Martin was never that much of an offensive catcher to begin with. But still, it's it's a drop-off, and I don't know if Real Muto has the defensive skills to counteract that drop-off. I just... I think the money can be better spent elsewhere. And I would like the Blue Jays to do that. I think second base is more of a priority. I think acquiring a player through trade to play third base more of a priority. And I think getting a center fielder, even if Springer is that guy, is more of a priority than upgrading catcher. I think you're better off just going with a tandem of Kirk and Jansen next year. And we'll talk about it more when I actually get around to the year-end reviews for the Blue Jays. But the player I did want to talk about in this episode, and I've not left myself a lot of time to do so, but it's Hassan Kim. Uh, Kim is going to be eligible to be talked to by MLB teams starting on Thursday. He's arguably the biggest prospect to make the jump from the KBO. Um, in, in their history. Um, John Palmarosi is reporting that the Jays have interest in him and they have evaluated him closely. Marissi's saying that about a lot of people. Um, it's a shock, right? Uh, Kim, after getting his feet wet as an 18-year-old, has posted averages of 290, 281, 302, 288, 307, and 306. That 290 was hit when he was 19 in the KBO. His slugging percentages have hovered around 500, so, you know, he's got a bit of pop in that bat, too. He's averaged over 20 home runs a season since 2015. Three times he's cracked 100 RBIs. And 
in five of those six seasons, he's stolen more than 15 bases. He seems to be the perfect five to a player, and he's coming over at age 25. This is exactly the kind of guy I want the Blue Jays to sign. I mean, yeah, he primarily played shortstop um, with Nexon and Kiwoom, but he has plenty of experience at third base as well. He's actually split time between those two positions in the past uh, two years. Definitely not as good at third base. In 2019, he had a 911 fielding percentage at third. In 2020, a 950 fielding percentage compared to 967 and 963 respectively at shortstop. So maybe they talked to Bo Bichette about moving over to second and, and keeping Kevin Biggio at third. Or maybe they sign Kim and again go trade for a third baseman. Nolan Arenado's on the market. Chris Bryant's on the market. There are options there. And if the Blue Jays don't want to get involved in the Francisco Lindor, Carlos Correa, Trevor Story kind of brawl that the free agent market's going to be next year, then signing Kim at a friendly rate would prevent that. And they can do that. We remember the deal they signed with Gurriel. It was like seven years, $22 million for a guy just coming over from Cuba. Signing a guy like Kim would obviously be a little more expensive than that. But we're not talking Hideki Matsui money. We're talking about something probably in the range of a five-year deal at like $50 million. And when MLB Trade Rumors did their projection for Kim, they had him number seven. They actually had him five years, $40 million, plus the $7.5 million fee that would be paid to Kiwoom. So... That seems a lot more palatable than giving a guy like Lindor, you know, the the $25 million a year. Yeah, it's more of a risk. But as I've talked about on this podcast, it's about making sure you don't pot commit yourself to one player and make all the necessary upgrades that the Blue Jays need. Because the Blue Jays still need starting pitching. The Blue Jays still need um, a second base option if they want to move Kevin Biggio around, which I do think they want to do. They need another outfielder. They need help. Signing Kim and then signing Colton Wong, that, that's your infield right there. Then Kevin Biggio becomes the super utility. And also gives you enough money to sign another pitcher. Um, and yeah, Charlie Morton's off the market now. He signed that $15 million deal with Atlanta. But still plenty of other guys. I mean, you could sign Masa Tanaka if you wanted. You can sign Jake Odorizzi. Like, there are still options available. And they would be pretty good fits. Jose Quintana. You, you could gamble on James Paxton coming north. You could re-sign Taiwan Walker. Many options available. And signing him to a friendly deal instead of, like I said, trading for Lindor keeps the prospect pool intact and gets a, a very talented young player who fits that Blue Jays window in there. So Kim's the guy I'm most excited to see on that list of players that was put out today. Um, yeah, a guy like Real Muto would help, but the other ones, they, they better be backup options. That's all I'm going to say. 
Um, if you want to hear more of what I have to say, or check out some of the references to past episodes that I made frequently in this one, um, subscribe to the podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find podcasts, you can subscribe to Locked On Blue Jays and check out those previous episodes. You can follow on Twitter and Facebook at Locked On Jays. The links will be posted on Twitter when I remember them, which is most of the time. I'm pretty good at that. And you can follow me on Twitter at a underscore J underscore Andrews. The underscores are there because Twitter is dumb, but it allows for communication. So until the next time we communicate, which is probably going to be pretty soon, I'm planning on on going over Mike Rosenbaum's uh, prospect recap from MLB.com, talking about some of the prospects that have made moves and are standing out and who could be following Nate Pearson and Alejandro Kirk up to the big leagues. So check that out when it comes out. But until then, for everyone at the Locked On Podcast Network and everyone at jaysfromthecouch.com, I'm E.J. Andrews. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode. And y'all take care.